Well, it's Valentine's Day, and what's more romantic than watching a movie about a robot warrior of love with a literal love OS? Just gals being pals. Shut up, movie, or you'll get the salt. Hi, I'm a delicious rice ball Jay. And I'm Colbot Claw's BDSM braids, Ashley. And welcome to Rangers Explain, a show where we normally talk about Power Rangers, but Ashley still has the show held hostage. That's right, bitch. We're still on Cutie Honey, and on this lovely Valentine's Day, we're talking about the two live-action movies our favorite magical girl android has done, 2004's Cutie Honey and 2016's Cutie Honey Tears. So let's immediately just move into talking about Cutie Honey 2004, which was directed by Hideki Anno, which you'll all know from Neon Genesis Evangelion and Gunbuster and Shin Godzilla, and he, he's basically an anime legend at this point. Cutie Honey 2004 follows android Honey Kisaragi, who finds herself in the middle of a criminal investigation when Panther Claw kidnaps her uncle, Dr. Utsugi, to try and learn more about her eye system. Pine. Uh, with the help of police inspector Natsuko Aki and reporter Seiji Hayami, Honey learns that love really can save the day. So, funny enough, there is actually a companion piece to the Cutie Honey 2004 movie, um, which is a three-episode anime OVA, uh, which I feel like that was probably redundant to say anime OVA. <laughs> um, uh, whatever. I'm stupid on American. There's an OVA uh, called Re-Cutie Honey, um that came out around the same time. It's three episode of OVA. It's probably one of the most well-received versions of Cutie Honey. Had a lot of people who worked on it who eventually went on to um, start Studio Trigger, uh, who were also behind Kill a Kill, Gurren Lagann. Uh, it is Studio Trigger, right? Yeah, it's Studio Trigger. Uh, did they do Gurren Lagann or were they, or was that Gynax before the people left to become Studio Trigger? I'm not certain. I know the, the same guy who worked on Gurren Lagann and Promare and uh, Kill a Kill worked on Cutie Honey, uh, Re-Cutie Honey. So we had plans to watch Re-Cutie Honey to kind of supplement this, but um, the day we scheduled to do it, uh, I was on the phone on hold with the United States Postal Service for like an hour and a half. Uh, all because I was trying to crack, uh, track down a $7 package of hero clicks that I was adding to my Captain Marvel collection, so. Yeah, that was, I just remember like, oh no, when you had to say you were going to be on the phone with the post office, I was like, oh no, we're not going to get to read Cutie, honey. Yeah, so, I mean, we probably would have had time to watch it, like, the night we watched Tears, but Tears basically melted our brain. Um, yes. But, yeah, so hopefully we'll watch that at a later date, like, not for the podcast. Um, so if we're missing some plot details that were explained in Re in this, um, that's the explanation why. We just didn't have a, a time to watch it before we uh, recorded. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, yeah, let's jump into the characters, which we'll just start with our, um, our titular character, Haniki Saragi, a.k.a. Cutie Honey. Uh, she's, a, a she's actually, uh, the, one of the key differences here, uh, is an office wor worker instead of a student. Yes, um, which I found that interesting, but I guess they kind of wanted to, I don't know what Anno's motivation there, besides probably getting away from the, um, uh, from the kind of the schoolgirl setting that, like, uh, Honey is usually in. But yeah, it was really fun to kind of see her be an office worker and interacting with the office environment. And I think that actually kind of ended up informing the whole thing about Honey kind of being unpopular at school and Cutie Honey the Live because 
Honey is very unpopular in her office. Yeah. She, um, all because she shows up late and doesn't know office etiquette. Yeah. And uh, her only friend at the office is a janitor, which unfortunately we didn't get the janitor's name, but like, um, it's very clear that she's the only person in the office who actually gives a shit about Honey, which is kind of sad. Yeah. But yeah, she's... It's kind of... Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to say it was kind of funny, like, the people in the office that normally hated her were kind of lazy and awful. Yeah, so I think it was just that she was too bright and bubbly for them, probably. Um, I did love the running joke about her getting into... Um, that she would do people's work for rice balls. Yeah, that was... Uh, I love how they basically... I think it's implied... And it may have, like, gotten to the OVA that her fuel is, um, or, or it may be explained in the movie, but I missed it. Uh, it seems like her, she is fueled by food. Yeah. I, and and I, her, I think, yeah. And her favorite food is rice balls. Yeah, so there's there will be scenes where she'll just have piles of rice balls near her. Or, like, the one of the opening scenes in the movie is literally she didn't have, like, she wasn't able to flash because she was low energy. Um, so she literally puts on a gar- she puts a garbage bag on over her underwear, runs to the corner store, buys a bunch of rice balls, and is just shoving them in her face while she's running to the scene of the crime. So that way she gets enough energy to, you know, be able to turn into cutie honey. Yeah. Uh, I think she was turning into hurricane honey in order to get to the, um, uh, to get to the scene of the crime. Yeah. But still, she needed that energy to transform so she uh so so she just literally put on a garbage bag and grabbed like bought a bunch of rice balls from the corner store yeah so it, it was always fun just to see like scenes of her with giant with giant piles of rice balls and just shoving them in her face yeah she loved them uh she's super adorable in this uh mm-hmm. and we, we kind of noted that she was 10 percent more dumb or than cutie honey to live Mm-hmm. But I wrote it as 20% more Kota Ibushi brain. Yeah, we decided when we were watching Cutie Honey that if they were ever to do an adaptation of Cutie Honey but with men, which there's apparently a, like, light novel in Japan called Cutie Honey Boys um, that is gender-swapped. Um, so Honey's a boy, Natsuko's a boy, I'm assuming Seiji would also be a girl, um, which I don't know that much about it. It's just an entry on the Cutie Honey Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Or Cutie Honey Wiki, rather. Um, but it exists. And I was like, well, if they ever adapt it into, like, a live action thing, Kota Ibushi would be the perfect honey. Because he's all tits, all heart, no brains. He is, he is 100% no brains. He will moonsault off of anything. Yes. Uh, just, I, I, I know you've watched the, the, the weird, like, kaiju movie he's in. Yes. Oh my god, it is so dumb. <laughs> oh god. Um, <laughs> I still have to watch it. I, I've heard about it. But what's interesting about this is kind of Honey has to kind of learn about the power of love in this version. Yes. It, it's not a given. And like, there's an, there's an entire scene where she like kills off one of the Panther Claw um, baddies basically by like. So something we didn't mention when we talked about Kitty Honey the Live is that there's an entire episode where like Honey is has kind of gone bad because she's like burning off extra energy. So like she heats up the air around her and like 
uh, can't really be stopped or it, it they don't really explain what it is uh, just that she's burning off excess energy so she's kind of gone bad um i think that was trying to riff off of a specific moment in the movie where honey's kind of overloaded her system yeah um to heat up and basically just um burns one of the panther claw villains to death because she's so like you hear this pop yeah and she's so driven by hatred that she, like, that's why she does it. But then afterwards, she's like, I don't feel any better about that. So it ends up becoming a huge driving point of the movie about, about love. Like, it, it, it takes that, like, to, to quote the, like, Last Jedi, we will save the world by saving the things we love, not destroying what we hate. Yeah. So, because Honey has to learn that destroying what she hates does not really fill her with any sort of value or, um, like, she's not happy. Yeah. So, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting kind of moral lesson to learn. Not to say that, you know, morality doesn't exist in Cutie Honey, but, like, it was, it, it was very interesting to kind of see it, like, having to take kind of that, that morality morality and mortality in that versus like um what most of cutie honey is <laughs> yeah well i think that, that there's there's some of that in um gonna guy's original work yeah especially with cutie honey but like it was not as emphasized as it is here so uh I guess, and you know, covered some of the differences there. Because, uh, yeah, Honey's here is a little dumber than she is in, like, some of the early versions. But then, weirdly enough, this kind of, this version of Honey kind of informed Cutie Honey the Live. Yeah. And it, it's it's interesting to see how, like, after watching this movie, it was interesting to see how much, uh, anyway, and we'll talk about this more as we get into the podcast, further into the podcast. It's just interesting to see, like, what character cues anyway took from Honey here and sort of transplanted it into uh, Mikihara's performance. Um, which Erika Sa- Erico? Erico. Uh, Sato was also a gravure model um, before this movie as well. Now, I don't know as much about her career since then, but... I looked it up. She, she, she's been doing decent, too. Okay. Has she also done more, more tokusatsu? I believe so. Okay. Um, we'll link to her, like, her Wikipedia page or something in the show notes. Um, so this one, like, we didn't talk about it too much in the last episode, but, uh, Honey and Cutie Honey the Live had the only good wig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they did try to, like, shape it a little bit and give it a little bit of that go guy flip in the back. Like, it's, it was not completely exaggerated, but they did try to style it. Uh, here, not so much. But it's understandable because this is, like... The budget for this was so bad, like the scene we talked about where she's running with the garbage bag over her and everything. They literally shot that on green screen and she's running in the street. Like, that is how cheap this movie is. And, um, it's 2004 and so wig technology wasn't great either. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have the blatant, like, there were times in Cutie Honey the Live where you would very clearly tell that it was a stunt person wearing, um, sleeves. Instead of, like, the actress who was wearing a sleeveless top. Or, um, I think there was one scene where you could see the wire. So, it wasn't as, like, the editing on it was actually pretty good. But there was definitely times where you can tell, oh, Anna was not given a budget with this at all. So, he took, 
he put the money where he could and made it work. Yeah. Oh, um, man. And Honey also still got the best wig because there was also the wigs that we get to in Panther Claw. Oh, boy. Um. Okay, well, well, we'll get to that. But, yeah, I think most of the money on Honey was spent on her costume. Yes. As Honey versus, like, the wig as Honey. Yeah, her- her costume looked great, and I like that it had a skin texture to it. Yeah, instead of just being, like, skin. It, which, I, I said that so creepily, I don't know why. Skin. But, you know, like, it's, it's there wasn't, like, the skin cutouts is what I think I was trying to say. Yeah, there, it's a, what a lot of uh, people who do, uh, I notice uh, when I, uh, I've gone to conventions now, because my partner likes to go to conventions, um... Like, a lot of people who do kind of the more, I don't want to say lewd outfits, but the more revealing outfits, they'll often wear a bodysuit underneath it, and if they do, like, a photography of it, they Photoshop kind of the lines out. And that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, like, going back to Kill a Kill, I've seen several uh, cosplayers who do uh, Ryuko, I believe is her name. Um, It's been a while since I've watched Kill a Kill, so I don't remember. They would just, they kind of just do a chest piece. Like, they just fully form a chest piece uh, with underboob to do that outfit instead of just doing, like, the, um, like it is in the anime, where it literally is just something that's kind of covering up her nipples and just, you can see the full underboob to it. Which I think is actually very ingenious in a way. But yeah, it was really nice to kind of see that with the outfit and, like, not see like while the movie does try to be like a live action anime a lot i think it did know its limits there and so it's not completely like the uh re-cutie honey one which is a very revealing outfit and works well in anime physics but would not work well with human physics yeah um so yeah i mean moving on our next major character would be we only got into her a little bit in the previous episode is uh natsuko natsuko aki who i actually uh see and we might like, go over this later, but um, I actually now like also see like a little bit of Miki in her as well. Yeah, she's kind of a Natsuko mixed with Miki. Yeah, and like um, I think I mentioned it in the previous episode, but I think they did visually take from this Natsuko uh, for the Natsuko in Kitty Honey the Live. Um, it's just that they have very similar looks with the glasses and the dark hair versus like. Natsuko in most versions is uh, usually light-haired, doesn't wear glasses, has wears her hair in pigtails. I think this version of Natsuko has been very influential kind of going forward, at least with the, how she's presented in the live. And there's also, like, I feel weird saying this, there's a pachinko game. Like, there was a second pachinko, like, Kitty Honey pachinko game that came out in Japan, like, two years ago. And the version of Natsuko in that is a police inspector versus, like, being a fellow student along with Honey. Well, that also makes, yeah, and it makes sense that she has another job. Like, and police inspector was interesting because she is a police inspector in this. And she at first was, like, trying to arrest Honey to get information from her. Right. Honey's not a student in this version, so Natsuko should be something else. And it totally made sense, and it worked. Like, they managed to work it out very well of Natsuko just kind of being um, more serious. Like, like, Natsuko in a lot of versions of Cutie Honey is not very serious. She's kind of a naive schoolgirl who's 
kind of oblivious to the fact Honey has uh, superpowers. She's constantly getting in trouble. Um, I know in Cutie Honey Flash, she's especially boy crazy. But here, Natsuko is very serious. Um, you know, she's very she takes her job seriously. Uh, she wants to figure out what's going on with Panther Claw and Doctor the uh, Utsugi and all of that. It kind of gives a good balance to how Honey is. Yeah, because in the movie, Natsuko is very closed off. Yeah, she kind of um uh, going. This is something I didn't put in the notes, but I kind of just thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, was Honey and Natsuko kind of have Godai and Ichijo's relationship from Kuga. Okay. Whereas, like, when you first, Natsuko very much like Ichijo when he's, you know, when you first see him and everything. She's also very closed off and everything. And it's kind of through another person she warms up. Right. And here, that's very true for Natsuko is that she's, and you mentioned similar to Miki, but she has less of the, the emo baggage that Miki does. Angst. 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 Yeah. Um, she's just more very, she takes her job very seriously. She doesn't really open up to people. Um, so she's very closed off, but as the movie progresses and she gets to know Honey more, she kind of opens up her, kind of opens up to her, opens up her heart. And um, it's very good. It's, maybe a little 101 but like i really do love like and you mentioned it here and this is something we both liked as um her apartment said a lot about her as a character yes so she was in a very small apartment as you can imagine being a a single police inspector and i'm assuming it was tokyo you know very small apartment one bed um there was only one bed and natsuko slept on the chair yeah, we made joke about that. But yeah, so, you know, only one bed, not a whole lot of lighting. Um, she had blackout curtains, you know, everything, everything was, was so neatly arranged. Uh, she had a lot of sake bottles out, which I found interesting. And later she alluded to drinking alone, which is not something you do in Japanese culture. Yeah, and it's like, because it was a whole thing in a later scene where she, um, they, like, Seiji figures out that she really likes sake. And so I think he was trying to, like, butter her up for information. So he gave her sake. And she was just drinking profusely. <laughs> so, I mean, she's I, she's basically, I guess, what you would call in more Western culture a spinster. She lives alone. Everything's very neatly arranged to the fact it's kind of a little creepy. Also, her, her plants were all dead. Yeah, there's there's a whole thing where she had this, like, rows and rows of these dead plants that she i guess she had brought home and was either too busy to flower or or she just has a, you know a black thumb which is a whole thing that she the uh, honey at some point actually manages to make the flowers bloom and it's really beautiful but natsuko doesn't like it because she believes that's something that you have to work for and and it kind of and, and I just figured that out. I'm like, oh, that plays into her later. Yeah. And so, yeah, so she believes it's you know, something that you have to work for. And so Honey actually takes that lesson and tries to use her flash powers less for her own gain. Yeah. Also, it was interesting that, like, well, you noted this about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah. Uh, about Honey basically kind of being the her Manic Pixie Dream Girl who kind of makes her come out of her shell and like changes her life, except it's not weird hip- hipstery or that. It's it, it's it, basically I think that's why I don't like that trope. It has to do with who uh, often the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is going after 
It's often mm-hmm. going after like a cis heterosexual male that's all sad and hipstery and obviously mm-hmm. needs a woman to heal her wo- heal his wounds. And it's like, no, this is a lesbian type situation. And it's like, it's one of those. It's like Natsuko kind of was just a workaholic. Yeah. So she kind of has to learn to open up and have friends that aren't, you know, her work subordinates, uh, Todoroki and Goki, mm-hmm. who that's just basically who they are in this movie. Is just they're just two guys who are super loyal to Natsuko and even like risk their own jobs when um, Natsuko is released from the police force uh, to help her. So yeah, as we mentioned, total lesbian. Um, even though it was. It- it was implied, but I'm like, yeah, she's a lesbian. Yeah, I think they're a little bit more explicit in Re. Good. Um, which is why I'm sad we didn't get a chance to watch Re, because I've seen scenes from it and screen caps from it where it's very clearly like there. Anna was a little more able to go into the uh, the lesbian undertones of Cutie Honey, as it were. Yay! So hopefully I'll be able to watch that soon. And uh, I have been told by my friend Emma uh, Emma Hubois who said it is the horniest version of cutie honey that exists. So I'm excited. Yeah. Hold up. But there you go. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, But yeah, so we didn't talk, we didn't talk about the glasses. Yeah. The glasses were very interesting in the fact that it it was also part of her closed off personality uh, because she wore fake glasses. Yeah. And I think it's something that she, she, I don't know if it was a thing of like not wanting to draw attention to herself or wanting to be taken more seriously as a police inspector. So she would wear fake glasses and like honey is the first one to notice it. And she's like, like, doesn't honey say something about like, she'd be pretty with the glasses without, the without glasses. the glasses. Yeah, She's like, you're yeah, you're pretty, you're, you're pretty, but you're prettier without the glasses. It, it wasn't like a mean spirited comment. It was actually kind of gay. It was. And it actually is really, and so it becomes important at the end because uh, Natsuko has has to take a sh- like a shot with her gun to save Honey, but she only has one bullet left. So what she ends up doing is taking the glasses off so she has be- like she can see better. Yeah. To make the shot, and she does. She does, and it's so heartwarming. And yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, we basically covered everything about Natsuko. So we mentioned him briefly. So. Seiji! Seiji! The most useful Seiji, but he's still a pervert. And an NSA for some reason. Yeah, so, like, he has for the movie, he's got the cover of, like, oh, I'm actually a reporter, but he very clearly knows more about stuff than any reporter should. And at the end of the movie, they're just like, they kind of hint at it along the way. But at the end of the movie, they're like, oh, you're a, you're an American NSA agent. And, like, Honey knew because he something he had given her or said to her. I, it was very unclear. Um, but he just was a plot expositioner and moved the plot along. And he had a bad wig that had seen better days. Yeah, that, that wig might have actually been the worst wig in the movie. What was it? Kurt said it's like, that looks like an uh, Arno Magnum wig <laughs> that on the fourth day of a con. Yeah. And like, it didn't help that like, okay, so the wig they covered with the, so Seiji kind of in most versions of Cutie Honey wears a newsboy cap. So a lot of versions of Cutie Honey have him wearing the newsboy cap, um, which he wore it in live. He's wearing it here. And like it's the it's one of those things where you think the wig like the the cap is gonna cover up how bad the wig is, but somehow emphasizes how bad the wig is. Oh yeah, it's it's fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that was fun. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and move on to our antagonists in this. So I'm finally excited to talk about Sister Jill. So, um, Sister Jill is the long running antagonist of Cutie Honey. Like she's existed since the first manga written by Go Nagai, written and drawn by Go Nagai rather. Uh, she was in the 1973 anime. She was in, I believe she was in the Shin Cutie Honey in 1994, but don't count me on that. Uh, I haven't watched that one yet. Uh, she's in Cutie Honey Flash. Um, she's in here. She wasn't in live. Uh, she came back for, uh, she was in Re. obviously. She came back from Cutie Honey Universe. Um, and then disappeared again for Tears, but whatever. Um, no, no, she was in Tears. Fuck. <laughs> kind of. Uh, we'll get to Tears in just a second. But yeah, so here it's kind of interesting um, is that she's she is the main antagonist in this movie. Like she is for most of Cutie Honey, but she's a little different because uh, Jill is very much in most versions of Cutie Honey. She's kind of an active conspirator um, and she's not even she's the highest person in Panther Claw you usually see, but she's basically the general for uh, Panther Zora who is the, um, who is basically the figure in which Panther Claw revolves around for most versions of Cutie Honey. Um, but in this version, she is the one that everybody serves and she's kind of a passive queen who is very bored with life. Like, you know, she still wants riches. She still, she wants the eye system so she will gain eternal beauty in life. She uses women's orgasms for energy. But yeah, so she's, I wouldn't say she's, obviously she is driving the plot, but most of her work is being done by her underlings. And she's not, she's more interested in Honey for what Honey can give her versus like, I don't, exploiting Honey or think, you know, as they've been doing in Cutie Honey Universe, the deranged lesbian kind of being a bit of a predator. And the first like version of Cutie Honey twenty. 1973 it's more of a joke that like she's like am i a lesbian <laughs> yeah which i just I, I don't know why that always makes me laugh she was defeated by the power of love yeah it was a very evangelion moment at the end like i even did the um i even did the congratulations congratulations like, we made the joke of like what did they have less money for the last two episodes of neon genesis evangelion or this movie <laughs> so because i think they actually put most of the money into sister jill's like lair yeah they put a lot of money in sister jill's lair because it look it's probably the best set in the movie whereas everything else looks very cheap yes so I think they did most, they put most of the money in there. And so there's a very kind of philosophical ending. Yes. She, like, Honey literally defeats Jill with the power of love. And so Jill is kind of reborn into a seed. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's they didn't really explain it too well, unfortunately. It's kind of like the end of uh, Akira, the, if you're not familiar with the manga and you just watch the movie. <laughs> right. It was a very kind of more philosophical ending versus, like, a big battle. It was very interesting. And, like, so, yeah, she was literally defeated by the power of love and learning that, like, 
to live and live in this universe is to love something. You have to find something and love it in order to kind of find meaning in existence. Yeah. And um, you have a note here that says, eat shit, George Lucas. Yeah, because I'm like, she died from a broken heart. No. <laughs> She's lost the will to live. live. Oh my god, fuck the prequels. I'm like, I'm I'm making it through, like, Clone Wars right now. Like, I just started season two, and, like, wow. It's way better than the prequels. It's amazing when, like, George Lucas is not the sole writer of it. Surprising. Like, I know he co-created Ahsoka, but, like, yeah, you can't tell. She's got good writing. Yeah. <laughs> An interesting thing about this version of Jill is that uh, she's played by a man, um, an actor named uh, Aisuke Sasai, uh, which I didn't even really notice that. I just noticed that she had a deeper voice um, when we watched it. But it's, like, not really done as a joke. Um, I was wondering if, like, when we started talking about that and writing out the show notes, I was just wondering if maybe, like, Ano was trying to go more for, like, a kabuki uh, onagata-type role for Sister Jill versus, like you know, slapstick comedy like they did with Hikaru in, um, in Cutie Honey at the Live. Um, and that's kind of how I, that's how I was speculating it. It just, it may be uncomfortable because I kind of noticed mm-hmm. that it, it may have been, uh, that, that she, cause she was probably played by a man, but I'm like, wasn't, it wasn't like Hikaru. Mm-hmm. Hikaru, uh, and I was like very ambivalent towards it as opposed to like what happened to Cutie Honey Alive, where I'm like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, that's why I kind of like don't want to make like it was it was weird, but I don't know if that's just like because I'm not familiar with Kabuki enough to understand the decision that um, Ano made there. I don't know much about like behind-the-scenes production to say either way that that was his particular decision with it. Um, It's not played up as a joke, though, so it's like, you know, take it as you will going into watching the movie. Yeah. So definitely not is, like, the overt transphobia that was in uh, the live. I was just gonna say, let's uh, let's just go over the claws real quick. So you have Goldclaw, who's the first claw you see at the very beginning of the movie. Like, she's the one who naturally kidnaps Dr. Utsugi. Mm-hmm. And uh, she gets her ass kicked by Honey, and later in the film is killed by Jill for being a failure. Uh, she was just kind of my personal favorite because I just loved her and her camp and just her outfit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bless her and her gold helmet. She tried so hard. Yeah, I would say, like, um, before we get into the rest of the claws here, like, I actually really like the costume design for most of the claws. Like, I would even say Black Claw was very well designed but we'll get into our one hang up yeah. with his design later um yeah but yeah i i really did like the design of how like the design they had for all the claws and they did very well with that on a low budget yeah no they did a fantastic job they all looked great and camp and fantastic yeah so the next one um that you see in the movie is cobalt claw she was very interesting for how kind of S&M that she was, but she could also, like, replicate humans. Yeah. We thought for, like, a hot minute in the movie that she basically, like, ripped off, like, one of uh, Honey's co-worker's skin was crawling around in it, but it actually turned out that, like, 
that coworker was like locked in a closet. She didn't actually kill anybody on screen that we know of. Yeah. She's very S&M looking. She has like the sentient S&M braids, which uh, I think uh, Inoue borrowed that a little bit when uh, informing Mayumi when uh, for Kitty Honey the Live. So she was like half Sister Jill, half Cobalt Claw. And it, she ends up being a very essential, but like, you know, very central part of the movie when like Honey basically kind of kills her very viciously yeah, uh, by burning her to death. Like, it's an uncomfortable scene to watch. It really was. And, and, and that's kind of the point because like, it's an uncomfortable moment for everyone involved because like, it's a very hot, like you're in an elevator. So it's very, it gets very hot in there really quick. Natsuko is uncomfortable because she's in there with with Honey, but she can't stop her. And Honey is going through a lot of emotions. And then like when she, you know, when she's done the deed, she feels very empty. Yeah. And obviously Cobalt Claw is screaming out in pain for the entire time. It's a very uncomfortable scene, especially in like a movie that's so over the top and goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand why it was made to be that way. Yeah. Especially for a villain who is very over-the-top and goofy. So, and then we move down to Scarlet Claw, who's the third one in the line. I wasn't sure if she was Kabuki or No-inspired. Right. So she's very theater. Um, she doesn't get to do much. Gets killed. She gets killed by Black Claw later for running away, but she's like... She's got a very distinctive look, and she has this power where she can basically shoot giant fireballs from her face. Yes, it was so cool. It was, yeah, she was my personal favorite, both for that and kind of how her she, her, she looked and how, like, um, Miyumi Shitani kind of made her very over the top. And she was, she was an Oju-sama, basically. She, like, she even did the laugh, you know, the one, mm-hmm. the, And, like, I, I, I could not stop laughing when she did that because every time I see somebody do that stupid laugh in real life, I don't know. It was, she was very fun. I think I just, her look and how she acted, she, it was, she was my favorite of the Panther Claw villains. Yeah. Black Cole, um, he was the token man. Uh, he uh, was, like, black and white looking. They kind of, like, played with that with his face. Yeah, and he was he was played a little bit more effeminate versus like, you know, the kind of the the very male heavy Panther Claw villains in Kitty Hunting the Live. Yeah. yeah. Um so that wig. <laughs> that wig. Um, it looked like it was from Party City. Yeah, like not even Arda level. It was Party City wig that oh oh no, it was oh so bad. It was so bad. Like we every time he was on screen, we just could not Stop talking about how bad that wig was. His introduction is kind of hilarious because he comes on screen like singing a, a kind of this like jazzy song with like a bunch of Panther Claw villains playing like violin. Yeah. Uh, right, and a Panther Claw goons playing violin. And Honey just gives him this look. Like if I can find the clip on YouTube and post it in the show notes, I will. Yeah, it was it was kind of one of the things I do appreciate from the Panther Claw in mm-hmm. the movie. The 2004 mm-hmm. movie was the fact that um, they, it was just so campy and fun. And part of that was the claw villains just being like camp as fuck. Yeah, it was really fun. But yeah, he kind of, he gets quickly killed off as well because like 
him and cute and him and honey kind of go back and forth and she he nearly defeats her but she eventually kills him with the honey boomerang i would like to note that he turns into a tornado and throws her into gona guy's car yeah which she nearly crushes gona guy's car and windshield like she crushes the windshield nearly him with her butt that's how he would want to go yeah he looked very excited by the prospect of nearly being crushed by her butt <laughs> fucking gona guy yeah, I should note, like, every version, live-action version, including Tears, does have a Gonagai cameo in it. Yeah, he kind of does the Stan Lee thing, except, like, this one, I think, was his best one. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he was he was having a very fun time with that one. Because uh, he kind of got to have that over-the-camp, like, oh, face. So Jill has a butler, that they literally just call him Butler. Yeah. Uh, he mostly kind of speaks to, uh speaks for jill jill's paul Heyman, if you will yeah <laughs> sister jill <laughs> the undisputed undefeated sister jill Okay, I'm recovering. I'm good. I'm good. So, yeah, he uh, he mostly spoke for your sister Jill, and he's kind of... He, he had this whole thing where he had, like, a this weird, like, over-the-top mustache. It was... I don't, I don't know. And you said they didn't even try with the makeup? Yeah, you could actually see, like, the spirit gum and everything that they would use to put it mm-hmm. in. Right. Not the spirit gum. It's something else. It's another... It's a clay that they use. Mm-hmm. To kind of that mimics flesh that they put on things. It's it's mm-hmm. not plaster and it's not latex. It's something else. Okay. But you can tell right. they they just you can see the the glue that it was on. Right. No, that. No, I can see. Because uh, thinking back to it, it's like yeah, that was not that was not really a well done effect. And he uh, he's kind of got that like over the top creepiness that either the Paul Heyman or the Bro- um not the Brock Lesnar uh Paul Bearer Paul yeah. Bearer that's it yes yes okay um also i we forgot to mention uh so uh, this movie has songs by uh pop star kotakumi in it mm-hmm. and kotakumi actually has a cameo in the film where she is like i guess a bard for sister jill i don't know her deal but she shows up in all white singing about how great sister jill is and then fucks off for the rest of the movie that that was a thing yeah, it was funny. I don't know why, and it was there. Um, and then like, finally, we have Doctor Utsugi, who he doesn't do much. He's a MacGuffin. Yeah, he's the he's the film MacGuffin. Um, basically, the implication there is that he was Doctor Kisaragi's friend, and is basically like by extension Honey's uncle. Yes, and so. It, it's like it's weird i think there was some may have some, been some missing scenes explaining some stuff at some point he turned they turn they erase his memory and turn him into a giant kaiju but he still remembers who honey is and um he has a casio watch that apparently belonged to dr kisaragi so it kind of becomes this emotional fixation point for honey that the, like he has the watch it doesn't make a lot of sense admittedly but you know i can see what they're going for 
Yeah, he's a MacGuffin. So. I don't even think he has any lines. I don't think he did either other other than probably like arigato. Yeah. Um I think there was like a thing there was a thing in the beginning of the movie where like Honey flashes and turns into him. Um and I think he does kind of act as Honey for a second, but like other than that, like there's not he doesn't really do much. Um so we're on the final verdict. While it wasn't fantastic and the budget was terrible, it had a lot of heart. And I had a lot of fun watching it, and it didn't feel like my brain was leaking out of my ears like Cutie Honey the Live. Of course, that also had to deal with, we were marathoning Cutie Honey the Live. And this is a 90-minute movie. And this is a 90-minute movie. Uh, Anna clearly loves the source material, and it shows, and I actually see why Ashley loves the Cutie Honey franchise. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Jay on that. Like, this was my first time actually getting to watch the movie, um, despite knowing that it's existed for many, many years. It was very silly and over the top, and they were clearly on a shoestring budget, but Anos really seemed to understand and appreciate what uh, Nagai did with the original manga and tried to add his, uh, um, his own twist into it in a way that made sense while trying to make it more like a live-action anime kind of meets uh, tokusatsu vibe. It was really fun and probably my favorite of everything that we watched for these episodes. And I'm kind of sad I didn't get a chance to watch uh, Shin Godzilla before we watched this. Because uh, I kind of wanted to compare and contrast mentally, like, what he did there. Kind of how it may have transferred over to Shin Godzilla once he had more um, live action directing experience under his belt. But Yeah, I'm the same way, so... But yeah, um, our final verdict on that is we re definitely recommend this, especially if you're kind of looking for something uh, fun and over the top. It's it's pretty easy to find. Like you can still buy uh, DVD copies online um, legally. I know I forget who released it. I think it was I don't think it was ADV, but uh, I know that there is a you can watch it subtitled or you can watch it dubbed. Your choice. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, cutie honey tears. Fuck cutie honey tears. As usual, we'd like to thank Joe Hunter for the bitchin' art. No, 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 no. Six months of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, motherfucker. We're talking about tears. We tortured ourselves watching that stupid movie. I'm taking my time back on this. Ugh, fine. You want me to do the plot? In the distant cyberpunk future, the poor are cast below and subject to noxious chemicals caused by the rich after humanity is nearly wiped out. A journalist, Seiji Hayami, searches for the android Hitomi Kisaragi in order to gain her help to take down evil android Jill and save the planet. Ugh. Yeah, we really didn't like this movie, and so let's get into it. So our first character is Hitomi Kisaragi. Yes, Hitomi, did we stutter? Because apparently she can't be honey, because that's too stupid of a name, I guess. Yeah, it had to be serious. Um, so, yeah, I just, oh, my God. Okay, so this movie clearly had a budget compared to uh, the budget Hideki Anno was given for the 2004 movie. Wow, they did not spend it where it needed to be spent because she had the, she. so basically when she was not in her, like, honey form, I guess, uh, Hitomi had this really Terrible black wig. They they were filming in 2015. They had access to decent wigs, I'm sure, and a budget. And it still looked like you could still see the sheen of it on the camera. Her costume was so ill-fitted 
it, it not only that it had no personality it was like you mentioned it was serious and edgy it just didn't have the cutie honey pop but it what made it worse was how poorly fitted it was i mean obviously i get it they're not only going to want to do boobs 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 in this but like it was not cinched properly in her waist um it didn't really fit like form fit that well and like like anywhere in her like torso like not her chest not her waist none of that and like it was just the coloring was just so muted and boring and like the thing is is that i've seen a draw like i've seen an anime version of this that they did to promote the movie not not they didn't actually adapt anything of this into an anime but they did kind of do an anime girl version of this honey and the costume there looked really good because it was fitting to her proportions yeah, and this is just, like, the costume to me in this reminds me of, like, what you see a lot of beginner cosplayers do. What was it I said? It was, like, it was, like, a beginner cosplayer entering in the the costuming contest with the craftsman portion when it's clearly a Taobao costume. Yeah, it was not good. And it was just, it was so disappointing. And, like, and also the fact that there was this cheap choker that was supposed to be, like, Honey's Choker that oh, yeah. was just not it didn't it looked like it didn't attach properly either it was just so bad and there's just no personality for her or the outfit it was just this is serious and edgy so it's all black with a little bit of red accent and like the hearts you could barely see them on her leggings like it was black on black she was supposed to be like the emotional android kisaragi made mm-hmm. as opposed to like jill was supposed to be pure logic and um it just kind of was like what she has no personality or no emotion or anything except to her parents who fucking rocked but died for her emotional crocs yeah and then like she gets upset when like she thinks seiji is dead but that's about it and like other than that she's just like no i must not be emotional she's just she was just boring and she didn't like it was no fun i'm not saying a character ha- a, a positive character has to be bubbly all the time but like she just didn't feel like honey yeah Ugh, that costume her personality and uh... also i should note the fact she was not even like she was like a combination of nanobots she wasn't even like a traditional android yeah i don't even know how that works but yeah, she's she was a bad honey, but thankfully she's dead now. She's dead now, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, Seiji was actually the main character for some fucking reason in this movie. Yeah, I just I feel like whoever wrote the screenplay just did not want to bother with actually making a woman the main character. Yeah, I felt that too. I'm like, okay, honey should be the main character. It's a cutie honey movie. Why is Seiji, who? We kind of you you've kind of commented on and everything. He's normally a goofy side character, even in in the uh, other movie. He was kind of yeah. still you know while he was useful, he was still that goofy side character. Fuck this movie. Yeah, here he was more of like he was more competent and like not a pervert, but he's still just like, why is he the main character? I don't care. Are you an angel? Oh God. Okay, so it's a whole plot line that like when. Honey fell from the, the the top layer that she crash landed in the poor sector, and Seiji, who had been like what ten at the time, like yeah. found her and was just like, "I thought you were an angel who fell from heaven." And it's just like, 
when we were watching this in my most obnoxious Anakin Skywalker voice, I did exactly what J.A. did just now. Yeah. It was, uh, it was bad. And have we, ke- we keep calling her Honey when it's supposed to be Hitomi. And I, oh, I, yeah, it, right. Uh, this is going to so be. so stupid. It's so stupid it's so to call stupid. her Hitomi. Uh, then there's Jill, who was technological robot. Yeah, so she, I guess she's supposed to be Hitomi's sister. Like, it's implied that, like, she was created by um, Dr. Kisaragi as well. So I guess she might kind of be, like, a honey sister similar to Miss, Misty, Yuki, Miki, whatever. But, like, it's not very clear, and it's, like... She's supposed to be the logical one, so they try to make her a total GLaDOS in terms of, like, she controls the city, and, like, she's uh, kind of a very self-assured robot and evil, but she's not funny. She's got no personality, like everything else in this movie. She controlled the- the foot soldiers were not Pantherclaw, they were Sodoms. Sure. (laughs) Sure, and they were robots. And uh, one of the only things that showed her being near actual Sister Chill, as you pointed out when we were watching it, is when she killed, quote-unquote, a bunch of Sodoms who fucked up. Yeah, so, like, basically whenever, um, yeah, whenever in most versions of Cutie Honey where Sister Jill exists, whenever somebody fuck, like, whenever one of the underlings fucks up, um, Jill would basically just kind of kill them, like, either by uh, whipping them to death or, uh, whatever else but yeah so usually she if she would kill like killing uh an underling when they fuck up is very very sister jill dr kisaragi the badly done bust yeah it's a whole thing where like they think dr kisaragi is dead for most of the movie and he basically is but then you find out like no jill's been keeping him alive through a very like because i guess she saved his torso (laughs) so torso and brain Yes, and he's just, like, in a- he's in a glass case, and it's a very badly done, like, bust. He invented honey, she was ran over by a car. Uh, So, yeah, so I guess it's implied that Hitomi was his daughter, um, but then, like, she got hit by a car, and then so he brought her back to life ostensibly by creating this, like, nanobot android who can, like- when you stab her she kind of like has this pink little glow around her and eventually dissolves into nanobots by the end of the movie yeah and cries hence why it's tears (laughs) okay so i guess he you know it's implied that he also made jill to help run the population but then jill like was like again did the total glados where she was just like no i'm gonna take over the world i guess the and he's also like a a hologram version of him reveals the film's plot twist and that killing jill would not stop like um the big noxious because basically they're trying to stop a big noxious chemical from like overtaking the poor sector but also would like kill off the rich sector and they're trying to stop that from happening, but it turns out killing Jill would not stop that. They have to, like, Hitomi has to make this big grand sacrifice in order to stop it from happening, because this movie was already long enough, so sure, let's add another ten minutes to it. <sighs> the Freedom Fighters were there. It's mm-hmm. Beast from Common Rider Wizard. He was really cute. And the main one was played by the guy from Battle Royale, uh, 
Takaoka clearly needed a paycheck because he's actually a pretty, after Brad Royale was a well-known actor in Japan. Yeah, like, he was the, um, he was the guy that, uh, Chiaki Kuriyama's character was in love with. Yeah. Like, if you've seen Battle Royale, like, he's that guy. Which I barely remember because I saw Battle Royale when I was, like, 15. Like most do. Like most of us do, yeah. And then there was a girl there. She shot at things. Like, literally, the reason why we're not going over them in that much is that they're just sort of there. Like, there's a whole, there's a conflict about, like, uh, the main one. I think that was, his name was, like, his name started with a K. Who cares about him? Yeah, it was a conflict between him and Seiji where, like, he wanted to blow up, like, a power plant or the, no, he wanted to blow up the, the skyscraper that Jill was in. But, like, a lot of, if he did it, a lot of innocent people were going to die. And so they were at this conflict of, like, do we, like, should we just blow up the building and let, you know, kill off Jill and everyone in there? But, you know, Seiji doesn't want to do that because that's not the right thing to do. And so eventually he goes with Honey's plan and, like, they're setting up this big conflict that if, like, Honey and Seiji, Hitomi and Seiji can't do it, they're just going to go for their plan anyway. But then they don't. Like, it's just, they, I think they just forgot. And it was just like, oh, fuck. There's one more character. Dollar Store Chris Jericho. Yeah, that's that's all the notes we have for him. Chris is kind of this Caesar Flickerman type who's also kind of like, if you've, like, again, if you watch Battle Royale when you're 15, like the rest of us did. He's kind of also like the Battle Royale host. Like, he's he's always seen on TV and he's kind of like very over the top chewing the scenery and i think he might be canadian i'm not certain who gives a fuck who gives a fuck uh final verdict i fucking hate this movie oh my (laughs) god like this movie that was 90 minutes because of all we we actually subtracted a lot of subplots that this movie had and it felt like it was two fucking hours because of it and it didn't care for the source material, especially since Seiji was the main character. Not Honey, who is a Tommy, and we kept messing this up. And because, uh, you know, we need a serious name. She can't be Honey. Yeah, like, I can't really disagree there. And it's like, it sucked too, because like, it's also that this movie was not subtle in like, in any of its imagery. Like, you know, everybody who was rich wore white, where everyone who was poor was, like, in darker, like, browns and blacks and looked grimy. And, like, they had a stupid sequel hook, too. Like, they were expecting that this was going to be good. Um, and, yeah, the movie was just boring and joyless. Like, it didn't seem interested in all of being cutie honey, but rather a copy-and-paste amalgam of other cyberpunk movies I'd rather be watching with some cutie honey details sprinkled in. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that, like, this movie was already being written um when uh, something else when they were told that they needed to make it a cutie honey movie or um whoever was writing it was told that they needed to do cutie honey and they didn't really whoever was writing it didn't care about the source material so and i hate using this phrase because it often gets used super gatekeepery about reboots that divert from the original source material remember first hearing it when i got into battlestar galactica 2004 but tears is cutie honey in name only and it's like what Kitty Honey movie tries to hide the classic theme instead of blasting it loudly in the middle of the movie? Like, come on, man. What the fuck? It, it stinks. Can't even describe how much this movie sucks. We hate this and we sat through some really bad 90s acting. Yep, I I would rather watch stuff from, like, 
season one of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers than watching this again. Oh, God. Thank God we only have to watch it once. Yep. So, all right, we keep kind of doing this when we were talking about it, but let's kind of compare and contrast all three versions now that we've gotten through all of them. Um, I, I would say one was great, but campy. The other mm-hmm. one was very Inoue-driven, but still very much cutie, honey. Mm-hmm. And the other one sucked. Yeah, and not disagreeing there. So, honey in... Let's kind of talk about honey in all three, is that... I mean, we kind of agree that Anno kind of understood her the best. Yes. So, in all of our complaints about Inoue is, like, he had his tropes, he had, the like, the ways he took it, but he didn't really derive too much from the source material and actually borrowed a lot from how Anno presented Honey in the movie with the way that the costume looked, kind of Honey's general demeanor of, like, being kind in a hard world, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was it was nice. It was kind of like, an, like you said, it was an expansion on Honey. Her name was Honey in both those adaptations. Mm-hmm. Lana was the one that got me to fall in love with Cutie Honey. Even mm-hmm. though I, I kind of liked Inoue's version a little, I just was like, him as a plot writer can be kind of like, ugh. But he's a right. pretty good character writer. So, yeah. you know, I still got a love for Cutie Honey that way. Tears was just Bart throwing the cake out that said, at least you tried. Yeah, um, as you no- you notated here on our notes earlier. Worst honey ever. Yeah, it just, it, it was just sad. Um, I guess moving on to, like, our villains. So something that Cutie Honey the Live and Tears went more for was kind of the more capitalist approach to panther claw or the villains or the sodoms whatever you want to call them of like especially live with uh the fact that panther claw is more for like a shadow capitalist organization i know i was about to say in the live like one of the things with the gambling bit was you often saw like very rich people gambling on poor people's lives yeah so it was all about making money and exploiting the poor either through you know the gambling bits or um you know, literally exploiting sick people to um, to make into bioweapons, you know, making them pay stupid taxes, I guess maybe exploiting their education in the case of Mayumi, but like, yeah. you know, you, you, we just know that she's teaching the future of Panther Claw, not actively what she is doing beyond that. And, and that carries over a little bit in tears as well, because, you know, it's a cyberpunk. So of course, like, capitalism is the true enemy. Because, like, it's a, definitely a case of, like, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and stepped on. And they're literally dying because, like, the rich keep, you know, sending terrible chemicals into the atmosphere that causes noxious gas and acid rain down on the lower levels. Subtlety. Uh, I just find it ironic that Tears does have that, but it just mm-hmm. is such a soulless cash grab of a movie. Yeah. Whereas, like, Live was trying to modernize it from how Cutie Honey is usually represented and how Anno definitely represented it. So, like I said, I think I've definitely talked about this before in the podcast because we've been talking for, at this point, several hours. Most versions of Panther Claw is more of just, like, a group of kind of somewhat supernatural weirdos who are all made to appease uh, this one particular goddess named Panther Zora. And so most of what it boils down to with most adaptations of Cutie Honey, and this was very much in the 2004 movie, was we are here to appease our elder goddess with 
riches that all like the all the riches her heart desires and typically they're trying to exploit whatever like the the airborne solidifier device the honey system the eye system whatever you want to call it in order to gain riches and are in this case for sister jill wanting eternal life so live did try to modernize it a little more in terms of like we want riches, but going about it in a very capitalist sort of way. Right. Almost almost atheist sort of way. There is no elder god to look up to or anything. It's just more the goddess capitalism. Yeah. Like, there is no god but money or something like that. Yeah. Interesting. So going kind of the three characters that we kind of see across all of them, even though Natsuko doesn't show up in tears, um, are Seiji, Natsuko, and Dr. Kisaragi. Interestingly enough is that here, so we just wanted to kind of talk about the kind of the three of those, besides the fact that the live versions of Dr. Kisaragi was a dick. Oh my God. I finally got why you like this, Cutie Honey, when I saw like him uh, in in the movie, Cutie Honey. Mm-hmm. I'll basically like, I'm just going to rebuild my daughter because I'm grow grief stricken and I was clearly a good father to her. Well, okay. I haven't made it through shin cutie honey yet from 1994 but basically i think this whole thing about like oh honey was actually a live girl but she died in an accident started in the 2004 movie or i guess more with re like 2004 movie and re and then so every other live action version since then has used that so either with she was in a car accident died dr kisaragi brought her back to life as an android or Dr. Kisaragi accidentally killed his daughter in a lab accident and then tried to bring his daughter back two times by putting her personality into somebody else before creating an android. Or daughter was hit by a car, so I created a bunch of nanobots to shape her form and have her help run humanity, I guess. I guess. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that particular character aspect of uh, Dr. Kisaragi kind of come up when it's never like it started it came common after that but had never been in any other version before that uh natsuko i would like to go over on the fact that like she has a very muted uh presence in in the live but i definitely see the influence for her in the live mm-hmm. with her in the movie it almost is like a small teenage extension of what happened with her character mm-hmm. growth in the movie right I wish there was kind of more of her in the series because I liked her in in the live. She mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah, you might like her in Flash, even though she's a little bit more. Um, and she's more like Naru from um, Sailor Moon in that one. Oh, I fucking love Naru. So okay, so yeah, you might like her there. Like, and I I love her hairstyle. She's got the big pigtails. Oh my god. But yeah, I think yeah I think. Yeah, Natsuko, I wish we could kind of delve more into her because I really love what the movie did. But, like, the the extension of her in the live was just basically, like, take her looks from the movie, kind of make her more serious. And that's about it. Yeah. Kind of kind of foil to Honey and, you know, taught her kind of what it was is it like to be a girl. Or, like, I remember Honey's like, I need money. It's like, well, you got to get a job. What's a job? <laughs> Yeah, so she was definitely there to kind of help Honey through figuring out what life was, even though she didn't know Honey was an android. I find it interesting that Seiji, the most useless character, is the is one of the more useful characters in, like, two of the three adaptations we saw. Yeah, and 
I mean, luckily, like, at least in the 2004 movie, he wasn't made to be the main character. I think he was definitely more of a plot driver. Mm -hmm. Or exposition driver, rather, versus plot driver. But yeah, definitely he was more helpful there. And not to say that he's completely useless. Like, there are times where he is helpful in a lot of other versions of Cutie Honey. He wasn't made to be the main character. He wasn't made to be a love interest. He was just a a helpful NSA agent who was trying to take down Pantherclaw. Yeah. Or whatever the fuck he was in Tears. Oh, yeah. He, He was a journalist in Tears, but he was also, like, a freedom fighter, I guess, or... I don't know. Sister Jill tried to choke him out in the beginning of the movie, and I wish she'd finished the job. <laughs> That's what we think of your hero. Yeah, and in the live, he's a little closer to what he is in a lot of um, the anime adaptations, where he's like well-meaning, and he very clearly cares about Honey and wants the best for her and wants to help her, but he's kind of mm, useless. Kind of my main observation was uh, the live was more henchin hero tropey. And mm-hmm. it was because a man, it was written by a man who does Hitchin Hero Tokusatsu. Like, mm-hmm. Inoue's known for Common Rider and um, Super Sentai. Like, right. that's what he's known for in, in uh, Tokusatsu, and I think some metal heroes. Right. Um, yeah, and I think he, like, he, like, I've mentioned it before, but he took, I think he took a lot from uh, Cutie Honey um, Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it did kind of already kind of lend itself more to the henchin team type of magical girl series. Yeah. Which, it, it, if you're going to be, like, adapting that into a war tokusatsu series that has, like, multiple characters, like, yeah, I think we were wanting to more base it off of a, a show that actually has multiple uh, personalities in terms of um, kind of the heroes, like, batting off of each other. That Like, that's a good direction to go in. And Anno, like, when I was, you know, watching it with you, definitely noticed he had a more take based on, like, o- the older anime and the manga and tried to make it, like, a live-action anime. And we're not trying to be like, oh, he was, you know, oh, because it was a Japanese movie, mm-hmm. I guess is my fear of going there. It's like, no, it's because he was mostly an, an anime director at that point. Yeah, and, like, we know that he loves tokusatsu. Like, his love of Ultraman is, like, very well known. To the fact that, like, like I think there were some jokes going around about his, his dream coming true when he got announced to direct Shin Ultraman that's coming out in, like, I'm assuming within the next couple of years. Yeah, or, or like, how Evangelion is basically Ultraman. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm interested to kind of, like, that's why I'm sad that, like, didn't get a chance to watch Shin Godzilla before we watched this because I would kind of like to see what the movie would be like now if, you know, once he had more of that experience under his belt of directing more tokusatsu-based things or how you even do Cutie Honey, if you can even do Cutie Honey that way in this, like, in this universe, like, right now, when, like, especially after he's, Finishing the Evangelion second build movies and all of that. That that was something we noticed. Like we're kind of curious to see what 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 a cutie honey movie would be like now that he has all that exper- more experience under his belt. Yeah, Tears was, as he said, it was just it was just felt like a generic cyberpunk movie, and it was like there was literally parts of it where we could point out and go like, oh, that's taken directly from Blade Runner. That's from Ghost in the Shell. That's, you know, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I haven't even seen Alita yet, um, Alita Battle Angel yet, but I'd rather be watching that movie right now than watching Tears. And it just, it just didn't, 
feel like it it's like it just like it wanted to more be cyberpunk and dark and didn't really have anything to say the final note here kind of is um i'll let you have the final say but it's like the live and anno's movie love the source material even mm-hmm. if anyway in the live played with his um his tropes right uh tears just felt like someone i think you said this earlier it felt like someone hated the source material and had to slap it on there right yeah it's just it, it, i can't really disagree with that because it's like you know, after, because I at least read the, when I thought we were doing this episode back in, we were in like August, like I read the original Cutie Honey manga and, you know, and I've been watching, you know, Cutie Honey Flash and all of that. It felt definitely felt like with Anno, he really loved the source material. He wanted to do justice to the source material. The live played around with the source material a little bit, but still ultimately got to, you know, who honey was and what the source material was and tears was just sort of there it had the name but anything else was just kind of and i guess there was the message of love will save the day but it just didn't come across well at all nothing came across well in that movie. but we're done with it so we don't have to worry about it anymore oh thank god um as usual we'd like to thank joe hunter for uh the bitchin artwork you can find him at twitter at joe hunter and he recently uh is doing land pits right is that how he pronounce his name yeah land pits land pits and him have a comic out called beast uh beast strikers beast heart strikers beast heart strikers and it is a tokusatsu based one i've read the first uh script uh not script but first comic and it's out on comicsology now if you want to go grab a look at it we also like to give a shout out to our wrestler of the uh, of this podcast, which uh, is just a shout out to Faye Jackson, who is equally horny on Maine as Gona Guy. And we just want to shout out to her for being like that. And because she's equally uh, horny as Gona Guy, she is running the Grey Sweatpants Battle Royal on Saturday, just April 4th at 10 p.m. at Coppertail Brewery in Tampa, Florida. Part of the proceeds go to Planet Parenthood. The winner gets a flashlight and a gift certificate to Adam and Eve. $100 gift certificate to Adam and Eve, I might add. <laughs> uh, yeah, Faye Jackson is awesome. Um, I'm not certain if I'm going to make it to the Grey Sweatpants Battle Royale for many a weekend, but um, I'm very excited to finally see her live and hopefully get to meet her. So, yeah, and so, as usual, you can find us on our podcast pages on... Um, podcast.com stitcher Castbox, uh apple podcast spotify wherever you find your fine podcasts in the universe um you can also find us on patreon on ranger splain you can find us on twitter uh, at ranger splain you can find us on instagram um at ranger splain i'm gonna be trying to use that more often and um and if, if you have anything you would like to say to us or anything that you'd be interested in us for covering in terms of like Power Rangers ephemera or weird tokusatsu ephemera or if you happen to have access to the live action Sailor Moon pilot <laughs> this is my dream for the podcast I want that pilot um just you can also hit us up at rangersplain at gmail.com and um as for me uh you can always find me on twitter at, at @misskittyf on instagram at @misskittyf my gumroad is uh gumroad.com slash ashley leckwold I have zines and comics there available and my Patreon is also uh, Patreon. It's got Ashley Leckwold on Patreon, which I should hopefully be updating that by the time this podcast comes out. I uh, my Twitter is now sins two, as in the letter, uh, as in the number two hell. 
Uh, my Instagram is still jjackets. You can find me on Gumroad and Patreon under jssrights87. Um, and then I do a perler artwork, which is basically um, beaded uh, pixel art. Uh, you can find my partner and I's work at Great SG. Uh, SG's capitalized space creations on Etsy, and we also take commissions. All right. For our next episode, wait, you're not hiding any more cutie honey, are you? Well, the live show Emotional's not out yet, so no. It's officially out of my system, and we can go back to being a Power Rangers podcast. All right, so next time we're stronger than before with Zio. Until then, may the power protect you. Honey, flat! <laughs>